since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> I was tired as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Monday, September 29th, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I am your co-host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 18-year young adult survivor of brain cancer. My fabulous co-host, Andy Goodman, on vacation tonight. She is a journalist and young adult breast cancer fighter. We are your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. It is not okay. That 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy with me, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time entertaining listeners on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, iHeartRadio Talk, or listening to the archives on stupidcancershow.org. All right, we're going to welcome the star of ABC Family's critically acclaimed hit series, Chasing Life, Italia Ricci, joining us live in studio for an exclusive interview about her life, the show, and how her character, April, who is a 20-something smart and quick-witted aspiring journalist diagnosed with ALL, which is acute lymphoblastic leukemia, has made such a difference for the young adult cancer movement survivor spotlight on Vanessa Hood. I'm Maureen Sweet, Manager of Programs and Operations here at Stupid Cancer, and I will be live tweeting throughout the broadcast at ChemoDeck. So send me your questions and feedback at any time using the hashtag SCRadio. All right. Good evening, my friends. Hello. Hello. Mallory Rivera in-house. How you doing? Oh, just standing. You had a wonderful weekend. I did. It was exciting. It was my first East. And for those listening, OMG East is our fall conference here in New York City. We welcomed over 200 attendees for a full day. I think it was like 9 to 4. Yep, that's when it was. Yeah, Yeah. full day. (laughs) And it was exceptional. It was very well received. Lots of applause, Mm -hmm. lots of tears, hugs, community. It's all about the young adult cancer world. And uh, we have a special drop-in guest tonight, Jessica Malore who herself is a young adult survivor with a great story. She will be a guest on the show later this season, but you were there. And we, before the staff comments on it, this was your first experience, it was my with, first experience with the young adult cancer community. 
Yeah, I I absolutely loved it. I heard about the the summit, and I was so glad I was able to make it and connect with other survivors and uh, you know inspiring speakers. So looking forward to a future summit. And you were diagnosed how many years ago? I well, I went through cancer twice. So the first time it was in 2001 about a year after I received a, a heart transplant, I... Nothing, fe- you, know, m- you know, small about that. <laughs> Just was, glance that over. Yeah, I got a heart transplant. What? Yeah, yeah. One of those things, yeah. you know, and found a lump on my neck, and it turned out to be non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So I was determined to still go to college throughout all of that. Uh, I did outpatient treatment and was in remission, Uh, by the end of the first semester of my sophomore year at Princeton. And then six and a half years later, I found another lump on my neck, and it turned out to be a different form of non-Hodgkin's. So uh, at this point, I was working. I had to um, do what my doctor called intensive chemotherapy, two weeks in the hospital at a time, one week off and another week on. Uh, But I'm very happy to say I'm celebrating six years in remission. That's awesome. Congratulations. So you, up until this weekend, had you ever engaged with or even knew about the young adult cancer world? I had, uh, to some extent, I'm a, a motivational speaker, so I speak to a lot of different audiences, um, many of which are in the, uh, in the cancer community as an advocate, because uh, I, I do a lot of advocacy and volunteer work as well, and I've been involved with uh, the Lymphoma Research Foundation. We have a, a young adult cancer video that's coming out designed to inspire those who are going through or have been through uh, cancer. And I've done stuff with the uh, um, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, and that has ranged, you know, reached a broad range of audiences. Well, we're going to steal you. (laughs) You're ours now. All right. So just final comments then, because, again, we're going to have you back later this season to to really dive into. You can just, like, say, oh, a heart transplant. Like, that's a worthy (laughs) conversation to have. What's your takeaway from this weekend, your, your first like, conference in a room with 200-plus people like you? My takeaway is you're not alone, and it's something that I have always tried to impart to others that are just facing cancer the first time or struggling through it. And, you know, people were in such different stages of cancer, um, whether they were survivors or going through cancer at the summit, but you could see that there was there was hope out there. And I think being in the presence of so many others like themselves, they realized, you know, we are in this together. Cancer is no longer the death sentence that we once, you know, thought right. it was decades ago. And, uh, you know, you can get through it. And how to tell you do. Oh, she was fantastic. As someone who, you know, has faced balancing life, both in a college environment and in a work environment, I could really relate to the character that she plays. So I'm, I'm really glad that a show is bringing light to, you know, the circumstances that so many in our age bracket face that aren't really, you know, discussed that often. Well, we love our drop-ins here on the Stupid Cancer Show, but so thanks for sharing that. And like I said, look for uh, Jessica Malore. Uh, and you, you're at Jessica Malore, M-E-L-O-R-E, yes. on Twitter. I am. Awesome. So, Mallory... Maureen, Kenny. Yes. How did you think this weekend went? Yeah, I thought it went pretty well. Um, for me, it was my second ever OMG Eve 
I have done a couple other couple of our conferences in Vegas as well. So it's it never gets old though. It never gets um like you you never get used to an OMG conference. And it's just really great to year after year and conference after conference know that we're having a positive impact and meet new survivors and new caregivers and welcome new people to our community that didn't know that we existed in addition to seeing familiar faces. So I had a fantastic time. And for those who did not attend, we did workshops on wellness. And either of you want to talk about Julie Larson's presentation? I thought it was exceptional. Sure. I mean, I can pop it over to Mallory if she wants to talk about her experience and a little about some of our sessions. Um, In general, just being my first time, it was really great to see some of the sessions. I particularly Julie's session, which um, was about coping and your different coping mechanisms that you might realize that you might not have that are negative and positive. So it was really informational in general. Um, And also the Safer Chemicals panel was very interesting as well. It really did scare the crap out of people. Yeah, it's scary because it's in everything and it's everywhere and it's really important. Right, and and I felt terrible, but it's the truth. And this is a crowd that really, I mean, Jessica, you did that scare the crap out of you. It did. Yes. I mean, to think that in your furniture in your home, yeah. there could be chemicals that right. are affecting you. So stupidchemicals.org is our petition website. We're going to be working with uh, lots of different groups apparently now, even more than just the Safer Chemicals Healthy Families Organization. Uh, they mentioned the National Resource Defense Council, the Environmental Working Group, and I don't know if you saw this, but Italia tweeted that our two favorite apps now are Good Guide and Think Dirty. So everyone needs to go download that, mm-hmm. the Good Guide and Think Dirty. Really incredible uh, stuff. And I was really moved by, uh, and again, we'll be speaking to her later with our, our pre-tape segment, but Italia did a bang-up job. She was emotional. She was human. She did great signings. And I just, it was really a... a humanitarian thing. She's a real person. Yeah, she's great. Yep. Yeah, I don't want to forget our survivor panel, too, which was of the course. other element of East. We Nothing had... more special than having actual stories of actual people. Yeah, no, it's it's great. And Thea Linscott, who's on our board of directors, moderated it. She does a great job. This is her second year doing it. And we had just four well, survivors. Angel Very real, yeah. Who had brain cancer. Mm-hmm. And Kathleen Emmett, who had leukemia, or Hodgkin's lymphoma. Colon? 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 Colon cancer. No, and oh, yep. Pat Spain had colon cancer. Mm-hmm. And Kelly Madigan had Hodgkin. Yep. Or Spain had not Hodgkin. Mm-hmm. Truly a stellar panel. Yeah, yeah. Stellar. Excellent, excellent people. Well, uh, with that, I think we should kick off our show with a Survivor Spotlight. Uh, and here we go. Vanessa Hood is a 27-year-old Wisconsin native who was diagnosed at 25 years old with, get this, uh, positive acute lymphoblastic leukemia, which is what I believe that uh, uh, Italia's character, April, has on the show. Vanessa is now in remission and lives in Wisconsin with her husband and is planning a bone marrow transplant meetup vacation. Say that 10 times fancy. Bone marrow transplant meetup vacation in Colorado with three fellow survivors and friends in October. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Vanessa Hood. Vanessa. Hello. I, I really... I have to be honest with you, that that is the first time in my career I've said bone marrow transplant meetup vacation. <laughs> it's a long one. That is impressive. So, all right, well, clearly we want to talk about why, what is that, and how cool it's probably going to be. 
but let's start from the beginning. You were 27, uh, diagnosed at 25, um, and we can forgive you for Wisconsin, although your cheese, I've been to Wisconsin Dells, and it's, it's really <laughs> a great state, so kudos to you. But let's talk about your story. Yeah, so I was 25, and um, I just moved back to Wisconsin with my husband from the St. Louis area. Um, we were looking for houses, and... Um, had been feeling sick for a couple of weeks and decided to go to the ER because my vision had blurred. And um, probably about a week later, they found out um, through testing that I had Philadelphia positive acute lymphoblastic leukemia and I needed to have treatment immediately. So I was released from the hospital um, and then had another day and found out the exact results and then um, got transferred to another hospital where I um, started treatment and was there for about a month. And I would imagine that was not good. No. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It was uh, really overwhelming and hard, um, but it was really great to have my family and friends around. So if I was – if I – you know, had to go through this all over again. I'm really glad that we moved back home. So I was, you know, in the midst of my um, support group. Um, I went through four rounds of hyper-CVAD, and then um, I had an amazing donor um, internationally come forward and donate for me. Um, Went through bone marrow transplant um, February of 2013. Well, let's talk about that for a second. The bone marrow transplant is, A, it's a big deal, but B, I know that there are a lot of uh, events happening around the country around people needing to donate at least some of their saliva and what that means and the registries. For the sake of our listeners, let's talk about that. Why is it important to participate in marrow drives? And you're a consummate example of that. Yeah, so it's a great thing, and all you have to do to get started is literally get a cheek swab. It's like a big Q-tip. Um, they swab your cheek. They send it off. Um, they do a bunch of typing and see if you match up with anyone. And what's really great now is that you can donate peripherally. So it's just like um, if you were going to give blood or give platelets, you sit there and um, they take from one arm and take out all the stem cells and put you put the blood back in the other arm so you're kind of sitting there for a while it takes a little long um but you can um also give actual marrow and that's where they'll put you under and um take from your hips or i think it's mostly your hips i know there's bone marrow in your sternum and in your femurs any large bones but i think it mostly comes from your hips well, we've done radio shows specifically on bone marrow transplants and what is what it means, and people are scared about it, and no one really wants to be chosen, although being chosen is the greatest <laughs> thing in the world, because you could help somebody. What was your experience with that? Like, t- talk us through when you found out about, you know, your potential donors right before Christmas. I mean, this is a really important oh, sure. story. Yeah, so... Um... November, I was out of the hospital, and I was kind of going back in um, for different rounds for about a week. And then I was home with my dad, 
um, he had come over to snowblow my driveway. Um, the house that my husband and I chose has a circle driveway, so it's huge. Um, and he was helping. <laughs> and I had gotten off the phone um, with the hospital, and I had been calling, you know, checking periodically, asking, you know, do I have a donor yet? Do I have a donor yet? And I got the call that I had two potential donors, and they were both my blood type, um, both CMV negative, um, both eight out of eight um, matches, so pretty much the perfect match. <laughs> and if one fell through, I had a backup. And I shared that news with my dad when I got off the phone, and we both, I think, cried. And he had a whiskey to celebrate, and I had some hot chocolate. So it was it was a special moment, <laughs> definitely. So now you have the DNA of a guy. I do. I am um, dual identity, so I can rob a bank and leave some blood behind, and it'll be all his fault. <laughs> That's got to be the best benefit of bone marrow transplant. We should oh, definitely, that. yes. <laughs> we should plan like BMT bank robbery. But is that just your blood DNA? So like, I don't think your skin changes, right. does it? Yeah, oh, so no, it's no. like I would have to... Not leave any skin, hair behind. It's just the blood. <laughs> no hair, no skin flakes. You know, just no, no, no fingers. Yeah, no, right. just pure. Yeah, it's basically all like a HEPA suit with a hazmat, but just blood. Lots of blood. <laughs> right. This has got to be a great, like, Tom Cruise movie waiting to happen. Oh, yeah. Law and Order episode. Mission in, Law and Order BMT. <laughs> Forget us, video. <laughs> Well, I, I also think that this is really relevant, too, because, you know, you were very young. You're 25 years old, and we are all about young adult cancer. Did you meet other young adults along the way? And I know BMT is even like a niche within a niche of survivors that are young adults. Uh, t- talk us through right. that, uh, your your community. How did you find them? So um, directly in the hospital, there wasn't too many, and I asked about, you know, if there was a young person coming in, you know, let me know. I'd love to talk to them or, you know, have a shared experience. But um, there was no one. I, there was all older people. So I took my um, support efforts online, and I started looking um, at different places on the BMT InfoNet, um, different um, support groups, and it was mostly a children's, most most children's, are diagnosed with ALL. So there was a lot of children groups out there. And then being Philadelphia positive, that's also kind of another mutation. So to get even more focused in on me and hearing good stories, bad stories, and all the like, I found a children's site that prompted me to find a adult site. And through that adult site, I met, um, I believe, Melanie first. And then searching on her website, I found Nikki. And then I found Nikki's blog. And then I met Diana through both of them, I think. And then we all became a part of this adult group. And then we all started talking just because we were all mid-20s, early 30s, and all with variations of the disease and all went through transplant. So it's really special that we've all kind of connected and found each other because we've been talking for the better part of two years and um, supported each other along the way, along our freak-out moments before test results or, you know, going through transplant. I'm the furthest one out um, of all the girls. 
So I feel like kind of like a proud mama that everybody's doing so well and that we have each other because people can relate and they can try to know, but they don't really know. And to have somebody, even though I don't know them per se, I know them through cancer, It's it means the world to me that they have helped me emotionally, physically, everything. And I hope I've done that for them as well. Right, and we should give them full shout-outs. This is Nikki Volkman, Melanie Shapiro, and Diana Phillips, our, yeah. our three besties. And, and let's talk about this this uh, this uh, meet-up vacation in Colorado with these ladies, your BFFs on a BMT, lots of acronyms. Yes. There. What, what are you planning <laughs> and why? Um, so we decided to meet in Colorado, and Breckenridge, We've I've never been, um, but we thought it would be a great time just to go hang out have majestic views of the mountains. Um, we're going to see a show at Red Rocks. So we're going to take a day trip out there, um, do lots of shopping. Um, I don't know, just be with each other and, you know, really soak it in. We're, I think we're going to have a photo shoot. Diana um, takes um, photos, I think, on the part-time side. Um, so we're going to have a fun little photo shoot. Um other than that, I don't know. Just see see where the weekend takes us. Your friends. This is life. You're living your life. Yeah. This is how you're being busy living with these three other wonderful women. Uh, I want to talk. We have a really wide uh, listenership tonight because Italia's on the show, and I think it's an opportunity to raise some awareness about young adult cancer and, and just cancer in general. I, mean, I, I made a mistake at the end. April's character on the show has acute myeloid. Leukemia. You had acute lymphoblastic leukemia, and our yes. drop-in guest, Jess Miller, had two different types of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Cancer is about 200 different diseases, not one disease. And mm-hmm. on top of the fact that it's typically a gift that keeps on giving. It, we have consequences of being alive. We're very thankful for having uh, these issues. But I, I'd love you to just talk a little bit about some of these wonderful chronic things that you have to deal with because you're still alive. Oh, gosh, yeah. So um, <laughs> a lot of people think <laughs> that, you know, I'm in remission, I'm out of transplant, everything's A-OK. Well, it's not really quite the case. Um, for me and Nikki, we're both Philadelphia positive, so we both have to take an oral chemo, um, and it's called the satinib. Um, I think the other name is Spricel. So um, that comes with its whole host of side effects. Um, For me, I had um, a pleural effusion and a pericardial effusion last year. I had to get um, my chest tapped and a lot of fluid drained out. Everything turned out good. I was okay. Um, But it's stuff like that um, that just kind of pop up randomly. And for me, um, the chronic thing is I battle with neutropenia. So that's a lowered white blood count, and specifically the absolute neutrophil count. So I have to have labs between every 10 days to two weeks. And then um, based on my counts, uh, I get a shot of Neupogen to boost that count so I don't have to be so afraid to be in public spaces or, you know, just everyday eating. I have to be careful. Just, I mean, I've I've become of a germaphobe, I think. I think it's pretty natural right. after you've gone through everything to 
um, be afraid of a lot of things. So I've always got a hand sanitizer at the ready and um, conscious of, you know, the person behind me just coughed and do I need to move out of the way and did they cover <laughs> their mouth? <laughs> so it kind of turns like, me into a bit of a freak. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But I mean, this is this is young adult cancer. You're you are and and you're right. married. And w- yes. what? How is how is? I mean, obviously relationships, and we want to talk about fertility because you mentioned here that you didn't have the time. You made a hard decision not to freeze your eggs. These are young adult issues that are don't really, you know, are, aren't necessarily relevant when you're sixty or seventy years old with with cancer. Share with us, you know, your relationship with your husband strained. Rock star caregivers. We pay a lot of attention <laughs> to caregivers. Let's hear that story. Yeah, so um, my husband Scott is my absolute rock. We've been married for four years, and um, I couldn't imagine a better partner by my side for this. Um, he spent the whole time throughout chemo in the hospital with me. The BMT side, I told him, you know, you need to go home and get sleep and get good sleep because being woken up at one, two, three o'clock in the morning for labs and then, you know, bags of blood coming, beeping, whatever. It, I don't get good sleep. He doesn't get good sleep. And he was working full time to support us. Um, so he is amazing. Um, but as fertility side, um, the segment last week was amazing. I loved it. Um, I, had a hard decision. I consulted with a fertility doctor twice and um, insurance did not cover it for me. So that was all out of pocket. Um, we, I was faced with a hard, I'd have to stop chemo because I was already in the chemo. I would have to hope they would be able to get me to ovulate in order to harvest eggs. So it was a really hard decision for Scott and I to decide not to go not to stop chemo and not to stop treatment because what if I wasn't going to be around to you know make something of these eggs or if they were already damaged from this chemo that was another you know scary thought um so we decided not to and you know maybe in the future there'll be something for us and hopefully what you talked about the Star Wars you know um what they can do with scraping of the cells and growing embryos. I mean, I'm hoping science will come this far in 10 years that I'll be able to have a biological child with my husband because there's nothing I don't think that would make me happier. Are you telling me you listened to our show where I talked about that? Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> we have a listener. We have a confirmed listener of the Secret Cancer Show. This is no. so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, I'm really glad you heard that because that is truly the direction. And for those listening tonight that didn't hear the other show, where there's amazing technology for uh, reproductive rights and fertility preservation that someday uh, you will not have to stop treatments. You will not have to go through hormone injections. They can literally just scrape some cells from your ovary, a healthy ovary, and weed out the bad follicles and harvest the follicles and yeah. grow them to maturity and freeze them in maturity on your <laughs> own. So that one truly day, amazing. Truly amazing in just a few short years. Obviously insurance and covering that. So let's well, why don't we finish up wrapping up with your insurance situation? Because clearly this is a chronic condition. You're consistently on medications and, and getting checkups and how did that work for you? with your health health plan? 
Um, so through, I was working at the time and I had insurance and then, um, I had to start paying my premium myself, um, probably the month after I was diagnosed. Um, so that was really expensive. (laughs) Um, yeah, it was, I think I had a high deductible at the time. So it was $6,000 right out of the bat, right out of the gates. I had to cover, um, my wonderful friends, shout out, um, Jess Backus, Kristen Persick, um, they set up this fundraiser with my hometown and a hometown bar and a walk. Um, they raised, I think, close to $11,000 for me, and I would like to say that I would be able to save that money, but it all went to medical costs. Um, so after that $6,000 and after the monthly premium, I think that was probably around $400 a month, um, it got eaten up really quick. And then, you know, come January, I had that all again, and I was able to change my policy to get my husband off, so my deductible was 3000 but they changed something around, so it ended up, I think I had um, prescription costs and whatnot as as another 3000 so that was another 6000 in 2013, and now with Obamacare, um, I was able to get a lowered, it helped me, I know people have mixed feelings about it, but um, it helped me. Uh, I got coverage on my own. It's cheaper. Um, I have a lower pre or lower deductible and lower monthly premium, so it's great. Um, but there's still like fertility stuff that won't be covered. Surrogacy, none of that would be covered. Well, on a side note, we can connect offline. If you are looking at at some point, you and your husband are looking at surrogacy options, we work very closely with a national organization that does that circle and uh, we have lots of members who themselves have benefited from their services so again insurance is a whole other story but there are still viable options for young adults who've lost their fertility because of cancer to one day become parents that would be great yeah well i can't thank you enough you're very courageous this is an incredible story and we're sure enough to follow vanessa online her Twitter handle is V underscore Angel 54. That's V underscore Angel 54. Wisconsin native diagnosed uh, 25 with Philadelphia positive acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Vanessa, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. All right. Vanessa Hood, everybody. All right, Kenny, let's, let's uh, hit up the news here. Hello. I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org. Your one-stop shop calendar for all social and educational events happening nationwide. Something could be happening in the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. Have a lot of them. Raleigh, North Carolina, Anchorage, Alaska, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, another one in Anchorage, Allentown, Pennsylvania, another one in Philly, and Redlands, California. What is going on, Maureen? Everything is going on. And we should also add as a button, if you'd like to host your own Stupid Cancer Meetup at any point in time, visit stupidcancer.org slash meetup and learn how you can change your community for the better. Stupidcancer.org slash meetup. All right, cancer is lonely, period. And we have just launched what we hope is the cure for cancer isolation called Instapeer, our free mobile app that is bringing instant anonymous peer support to anyone affected by cancer. You can be a private beta tester today 
by applying at instapeer.org. That's instapeer.org. Watch our video, learn more about this revolutionary app, and consider making a donation so you can be part of history, instapeer.org. All right, Matthew, it's always a good time to stock up on your stupid cancer gear. Visit stupidcancerstore.org anytime and stay nice and cool or nice and warm with all new products and styles to choose from. We've also got an awesome skateboard, and don't forget about Flip the Cancer Bird, our latest plushie mascot. That's stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear stupid cancer. And I just found out that nine years ago today, my father had his final cancer surgery. Nine so years. A special shout-out to Big Daddy Kane, who is a frequent listener of the Stupid Cancer Show. Big Daddy Kane, congratulations. Nine years. And that is your Stupid, Stupid cancer, cancer News. We are so thrilled here on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show to welcome live here, right here, right here in <laughs> studio, the lovely and talented Natalia Ricci, acclaimed TV and film actor, star of ABC Family's hit series, Chasing Life. Natalia Ricci, welcome to Thank the Stupid you. Cancer Show. Thank you so much. This is so exciting. No, we're so excited to have you here. In New York. I love New York. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. As soon as we, we saw the skyline, I started getting giddy. And I was just so excited, and I'm all, just I'm obsessed with the city. That's awesome. Awesome. Are you from L.A.? Are you from, where are you from? No, I'm from Canada. I am from... Wait, uh, are you supposed to say that out loud? Why? <laughs> I mean, we're so nice. Nobody, nobody will get mad at it. No, I guess not. Um, I'm from a small town, like an hour north of of Toronto. It's called Newmarket. Okay. Um, so I'm sort of I was farm girl being raised, you know, driving movie theater. I grew up on my grandpa's farm. Totally, so totally sort of, small town. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So LA was a bit of a a shell shock, um, being there. A bit of a culture shock, more like it. Um, was this like the typical? I'm going to LA and I'll be an actor. Oh, or is no. it no? What? No, no. I uh, <laughs> I was I got my degree and uh, always enjoyed acting. But as a kid, my degree is in drama, but was going to go into entertainment law because I'm uh, I only really like to take calculated risks. So okay. uh, I needed a structured environment where if I worked hard and provided what I need to provide and achieve what I need to achieve, I will you know have the life that I want to have. And sure. acting is just the complete opposite. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I was on my way to law school and I was working at for the summer at um, wherever and my friend was with an extras agency and asked me if I wanted to make a hundred bucks a day being an extra at a party in a movie that was shooting near our hometown. And I was like, yeah, that sounds so cool. So I went and like found money. Yeah. And I, was yeah. Like, I mean, it's boring being an extra <laughs> sucks. Yeah, I know. And I feel so bad for them sometimes, but I mean, it is fun too. Um, anyway, I went, and at lunch, the writer asked me to audition for a role, which I then got and then became friends with everybody And while we were shooting, and then they wrote me into the next movie, and I met a bunch of friends that I visited in L.A., which then led me to meeting their agents, and it just all sort of snowballed from there, so I deferred my acceptance for law school, and my LSAT score was good for four, so I thought if I could just give myself that four-year window, if I can make a living doing this and at least... Uh, you know, then I'm gonna I'm gonna try and do it, and if I can't, then at least I know I tried, and I won't have that regret. So I'm I've been extremely lucky. And then you were in Sharknado. No, I'm kidding. Oh my god, that's what I, I can only dream. I asked my agents numerous times to let me do sci-fi movies, TV. Sci-fi that TV channel movies. has become the launch pad. They won't let yeah. me. They're like, no way. And I'm right. Like, I love those. Like right. Uh, what's this? Dino Shark. And I know. Right. I love them. Super Gator. Oh yeah. yeah. There's nothing better than that. <laughs> Except ABC pleasure. Family, of course. Yes, of course. So I'd love you to talk us through how you were made aware of the role 
and uh, what compelled you to take an interest in such an interesting and you know somewhat disruptive and potentially even controversial mm-hmm. character. April from Chasing Life is a young adult with cancer. Yes, she is. Um, I I was at my Wednesday night bowling league. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. That just sounded okay. funny. Okay. Because I'm a I'm a young adult lady who bowls with not so young adults. <laughs> um, anyway, I was bowling and my manager was on my team, and he just stopped me. And he's like, "Italia, I found the role for you." And I was like, "Oh yeah," because he says that a lot. And so I was like, "What's this one?" And he told me, "I was like, there's no way," because at that point I hadn't worked a ton, and I was like, "This is gonna go to a name." And anyway, of course, I was like, but I want to read it, and I want to audition for it, and I love the script, and I auditioned, and actually thought the audition went terribly, but that's because I had just come from the hospital getting shots, and I am really bad with needles, and so I think I was, like, actually green for the audition. Anyway. Um, you were method acting. Well, not on, not on purpose, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the the role just appealed to me because it's such, she's such a real human being, and, and honest to God, when I when I started auditioning and even when I booked it it never occurred to me that I would be representing such a huge movement and I'm so grateful now that I am but I was just so oblivious to the real world you know the reality that that the story really has in in the community and um so I was just I that never phased me more than just wanting to book a show that I or a story I would be extremely proud to tell had you at that point been affected by Answer someone in your family, friends, any? No, I've been I've been very blessed that not to have a, an extremely personal connection with cancer. Uh, there's been a history of it in my family, but nothing that I've been I've experienced firsthand. My best friend's father passed away from brain cancer a couple months ago, um, and I knew him, and that that's the closest it had hit for me. But I wasn't there for it because he was in Tennessee, and I didn't get to. So you you really walked into this completely unbiased. Um, unbiased and a bit ignorant. Right, and that, I, I see that as a positive, though. You had no slant. True. Right. True. I didn't think I knew how to play it. So then, how does one research a role like this? Um, I initially, my instinct was to do all of the research I could and learn everything that I could about every type of cancer, specifically April's, and and, and she has what many, she has. She has acute myeloid leukemia. Okay, AML. Right. Yeah, and um, and go shadow doctors and nurses and patients and, and talk to survivors and do everything that I could. And then I just sort of, it hit me when I was, first of all, intimidated by how much there is out there. There are so many more different types of cancer than I ever imagined possible. And it's like 205. It's insane. Yeah. It's and like crazy. I was looking at, like I had textbooks and I was just like, I, there's no way I'm going to be able to learn all this and be prepared for everything. And then it just occurred to me that April isn't. She isn't an expert. She doesn't know everything. She barely knows about anything. She's in the same position I would imagine that I was in where it's like, you know it exists, but right. you've never really had to deal with it firsthand, so you haven't really given it a ton of thought. And so I thought it would be more wise in my performance to learn as she did so I wasn't anticipating anything in my performance. In your co-actors who you met, the, the other folks on the team on the set, Mm-hmm. Did you have any previous work with them, you, or you walked in meeting them first for the first time? My co-stars? Yeah. Um, I had only ever worked with Scott Michael Foster. Um, we did an episode. My very first job in the States, actually, was an episode of Greek on ABC Family. Oh, really? We had to smooch. 
<laughs> so uh, That's it was interesting. funny because at the table read for episode two of Chasing Life, I was like, hey, oh, my God, it's so nice to see you again. Like, yeah. oh, it's been so long. That was my first job. Like, it's so full circle. And he's like, oh, what, were you on Greek? And I was like, <laughs> uh, yeah, your face was on my face. Yeah. <laughs> like, ouch. Wow. <laughs> and you don't remember me? I know. I was like, oh, man, ow, this guy hurt my feelings. And I still don't let him live it down. But nice. he says he's sorry. So in terms of stepping into this character for the first time, talk us through being on the set that first day. Well, it was in Boston because we shot the entire pilot in Boston. And I was terrified because when I had, you know, sat down and started doing my homework, I wanted April to be as honest as possible through all of the situations that she's going to be presented in the show and so the best way that I could do it, because we were so similar, is just do what I would do. And so I was, A, terrified that I'd never been in a lead role before. I didn't know if I could carry a show. I didn't know if I was going to be interesting enough for people to want to watch for an hour. And B, I didn't know if I, Italia, was going to be a likable enough person as April that people are going to enjoy the character. Like if somebody's like, yeah, the show's great, but that girl's really annoying. That's going to be <laughs> super personal to me because I'm not, I wasn't, I didn't right. make up a character of to course. paint on. I kind of just put myself in April situations and reacted the way I thought I would because there's no one way that somebody can react to, to news about cancer. There's everybody biologically, psychologically, emotionally reacts so different to it that, that I, I kind of had the, the leniency not to have to, 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 map it out so specifically. And so that's what I did. And a lot of people, the reactions that we're getting are, are, you know, that's exactly what I went through or that would never happen. So you can see that it right. is, it, it, it does ring true that not everybody experiences it the same way. Right. And, and the roles like this, I mean, we've, we've at, here at stupid cancer, we've been uh, privileged to work with other um, uh, stories and writers and producers and, and filmmakers. Uh, we worked with the producers of the movie 50, 50 a few years ago, which is a very, the first cancer comedy was billed as about a young adult survivor going through life, just trying to get through things. And that kind of set a bar for cancer as almost like pop culture in a sense of destigmatizing it or raising the consciousness of youth being involved. Not our grandparents or little kids, right. the general public perception. But for you, the digestible moments of realizing what you are actually walking into, that there's a national cultural phenomenon happening about young adult cancer and you are catalyzing that evermore with every single episode. So you walked on set and you see, what is this giant poster of stupid cancer on the wall? <laughs> I'd love you to share with our listeners what it was like for you to discover how April was part of something so much bigger. That wasn't until um, episode three where April first gets introduced to her support group that I saw the stupid cancer poster, which I thought it was very sleek and um, very witty, and I, I really enjoyed it because there's, there's an S cancer charity that uh, a really close friend of mine works for, and so I thought that that was just a play on that, and then I did my research, and I was like, these guys are legit. That's so <laughs> awesome that that set deck is She doing thinks that. we're legit. No, I didn't know if it was just like a prop poster, like a made-up charity. Right, 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 yeah. And then when I found out, I was so proud. Um, and that that's sort of what acted as the catalyst for me to start, like the waterfall to start. Um, developing was sitting in this in the support group and a couple of the actors in the support group are actually warriors and we've we lost one of the one of those actors recently which was devastating but um 
there a lot of them are, are battling things and just to be able to sit there and it sort of it got it made me a little uncomfortable at first because I I felt so bad that I was only pretending and they weren't and so you know the more that I did my research about the the charities that are helping people who are dealing with it lives suck less and and just how many responses that we were getting because of the show. That didn't happen more until after we aired, which was almost when we were done filming. But in that moment, sitting in a support group, just like sort of taking all it all in that this entire other community exists that I never even gave thought to before made me feel so stupid and 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 ignorant. And now I feel so grateful to have had my eyes open now. And I just want to keep helping open everybody else's eyes to it because I think that this is something that's really important. You have what we call virtual survivor guilt, <laughs> which is a real thing. Allie, do you want to talk about survivor guilt? For me, I was told that I wasn't going to live. Um, so I prepared for that experience and got my life together. And then I didn't die, thank God. But a lot of other people that I knew started passing away. And for me, I was like, I was ready. I had everything together. Why is it? Why are they passed away and I'm still alive like this is not fair Um, and we meet more and more survivors every day doing what we do and you feel guilty when you get a clean scan and somebody else gets a bad one or that you hear one of your friends is no longer with us Um, and you never think that's something you would feel guilty about so you have virtual survivor guilt by proxy of your role um, I, I want to go back to how I remember asking um, Will Roger and Seth Rogen and the folks uh, at the 50-50 team, what, ha, did they even anticipate participation from the cancer community? And their response flat out was like, no, we thought they'd hate it. You know, they, why would we go there? They're just going to tell us we suck. And then I commend ABC Family for proactively reaching out and working with, and you met her recently at the Stand Up to Cancer event, so like the Juwad, one of our ambassadors, uh, who I met in 2011 when she was first diagnosed, who indirectly is sort of the, the basis of the role for April's character. Many of the the uncharted waters in the story arc are based on true-to-life mm-hmm. experiences that she had. So what's been your reaction to realize that there actually has been so much positive response from the community. Were you expecting there to be like, oh, they're just going to laugh at us? No, I never expected it it to be laughed at because it is such a sensitive topic. And for people who aren't that knowledgeable about it, it's scary. You know, before I I was involved with the show, cancer was just this sort of like mass that, that, that made me uncomfortable because I didn't know about it and I didn't want to think about it. And and so watching a show about it would be interesting to me, but I don't think I would laugh at it. There's nothing really funny about it. And, and I feel like the writing on our show is so genuine and we have such a great team behind us. Like you were saying that, that there are situations that even if it wasn't cancer are handled so true to life, you know, I mean, as true as they can be, it's not a documentary. We still have to be entertainment television, but, but everything that happens could be happening to the person next to you. And the response has been so so positive that I feel like somebody's going to tap me on the shoulder and be like, oh, we're just kidding. Like you, it's just been <laughs> so, I'm so proud and still in such like disbelief. Well, I go back to, and my, I know that my entire staff and, and probably the majority of our leadership would attest to this, that is this, oh, it's just another cancer thing to make us cry and whatever, whatever. And when we posted 
for the very first time on our wall that we're going to be working with you guys, and it's very exciting. They're like, oh, she's not going to go bald, and it's going to be all hoo-ha, and it's going to be like Glee with cancer. No, it's not. And I think we were able to completely shut them up and show them that this is a truly authentic show that matters, and we've converted a mass market of people that really love the show, correct? Thank you. I mean, we appreciate that, and, and I feel like, I mean, I I haven't really seen a ton of, of negative responses from it because they wouldn't really come directly to me but um, a lot of them at first were just people disagreeing with the choices april was making not as not hating on the show in general before before even giving it a shot um but then i don't it's it's like they're they're talking amongst themselves like one fan would be like i can't believe she waited so long to talk to her to her family about it and the other person's like i waited almost a year and so it's like Oh, have at it because this is exactly my point. And our point is that this is just one girl's story, but she she's representing so many people that that's what's making it relevant and that's what, that's what's making people care about it. One of the uh, seminal moments in April's journey in one of the episodes regard was regarding her fertility, mm-hmm. her, her reproductive rights, and reproductive rights are difficult enough when you don't have cancer, mm-hmm. let alone lopping that on. But I really wanted to. Uh, sort of revisit the the storyline for that episode, which is the mother was looking to protect her daughter's interests because it would have delayed her having to start treatment to preserve her fertility. So she, the mother, declined. They basically, she kept April in the dark about these reproductive rights, and then April had to find out through the other character, Leo, yeah. through, through Leo, and then she went on this hell-bent rant, like, why did you do this? I want to preserve my... It's my rights. Mm-hmm. This is something very emotional and very heart-tugging and very completely resonant with why April is so special as a character, because this is a young adult issue. What were your thoughts on rehearsing that particular scene? What, what, what kind of appreciation do you have now for this key issue about young adult cancer? Well, I felt betrayal on behalf of April at first, I understood where Sarah's character was coming from, that she wanted the best for her daughter. And, you know, she, she's not making all the right decisions, but neither is April. And she's just doing the best that she can for, for her daughter um, because she loves her. But April is, is already feeling like she's being treated just as young, not as an adult, not as a young adult. She's just all of a sudden, everybody needs to take care of her and, it's like once she's diagnosed, she she doesn't have the ability to make any choices for herself anymore. And and being a character who, before the diagnosis, you can already sense is so in control and so A-type personality, she feels like the loss of, or not the loss of her health, but the the jeopardy that it's in and the fact that she has no actual control over it just heightens the fact that she needs control over everything else. And And whether or not that makes it okay for her mom to have done what she did, I feel April was completely justified in her rant, and I feel like, you know, it, it is she is an adult. If she if she didn't have cancer, the issue would have been probably 100% up to her. You know what I mean? Like if, if right. that, it, I don't know how to articulate this properly, but but it wouldn't have been a, a question, Mary, uh, Mary Page or Sarah's character's involvement, unless April brought it up. But for some reason, people feel like they all of a sudden have to step up to the plate and do something to save her life, and that. That isn't there. That isn't up to them. It's hers. If so, that makes sense. It, no, it does. It does, and it, it's very insightful. And thank you for sharing that. The 
the issues that we, we like to talk about here at CP Cancer within, within the scope of young adult cancer is that it's such a rare thing for someone young. I don't mean a child or an older adult. Mm-hmm. We're only like 6% of all cancer incidents every year. So we're a fraction. But has this role, has this awakening given you personally any pause or understanding about your life or your friend's life? And has this affected the way that this is now trickling out to your family and friends? Absolutely. I I always joke that this show has forced me to be a good person. <laughs> <laughs> but I, it really, like, it's, I I am able to look at situations now and be like, does this really matter? Would this really matter to me? And I've been able to be, uh, I've never really said no to people before because I'm like, yes, I'll do that. And then I'm stressing myself out and, out and not, I just got Canadian there for you, <laughs> stressing myself out and, and not putting all of my focus and energy on the things that really matter. And playing April has helped me really, really um, be able to, to magnify what, what the important things in my life are and be able to make decisions based on that. I mean, I would imagine it's a heavy burden at this point to recognize that you've become a symbol in a sense. I mean, and you're a person, an actor, but this character April has really become a symbol for a national effort to improve lives and save lives in this age group. Um, how do you handle that? Because you once told me um, that you get the, the benefit of going home and turning off the cancer, and that's got a weigh on you. Mm-hmm. What's your process with that? Um, I actually worked with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and when he found out that I was doing this show, he pulled me aside and said, don't forget that you are not sick and that you are not responsible for fixing people who are, not, that's not exactly what he said, but it was a very inspiring and like, yeah, yeah, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. But now that I am, I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't tell myself to stop trying to speak for these people who, who haven't been able to speak for themselves. I can't stop feeling terrible that I turn it off and they can't. And we do address survivor's guilt in, in an episode in season one B and, and it's not that I think I've never really thought that that's what I felt. I don't, I don't know. I don't, it's a really, it's hard because I want to answer every Facebook message, every story that I get, but it's, it's just, you know, if it's five minutes that I have to cry for the day just to read these people's beautiful stories and respond to them, then I feel like that's okay. But then I have my family and my friends telling me, like, this isn't okay that you wake up and have your coffee and cry every morning reading stories. Yeah. You need to not do that because you're still just a girl that booked a great role and, like, you're putting a lot on you. But then I'm like, oh, my God, if that's all I'm putting on me, like, these people are dealing with such worse scenarios like i can handle this right sort of <laughs> well then and that ties into my other question is is what has been your personal experience with direct feedback from this community did you even know that you had fans that were cancer survivors i didn't i didn't think i had any before the show that's for sure fans uh, or fans <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure i had I think it just at seventy thousand on Instagram. Yeah, it's so, crazy. Um, I don't know. I I feel like uh, I don't know how to answer this question. Um, I have fans because of I don't know how to answer this properly. Well, you you had an existing fan base mm-hmm. who follow you to the ends of the earth. Not really. I would say you do. 
I do now. Before okay. I had done such like speckled or speckled work that it's like they're oh that girl that girl you know but I don't think I had any like like now I can see like well, you have like, you have raging fans now now yeah right I think that's a good adjective raging fans yes and it's <laughs> it's wonderful and it's it's the reason that I want to keep doing all that I'm doing and and reading these these stories makes me feel like I can help because when it comes to raising money and stuff, that's that's easy. All I have to do is show my face sometimes and make a few phone calls or walk a red carpet or give a speech. But I, I, I want to feel like I'm doing more directly. Or, or post sunglasses. Yeah. <laughs> on my dogs. Yeah, your dog. Yeah. I have to say, watching you interact with people on Twitter and Facebook has been really awesome to watch. <laughs> and to, you know, from a survivor point of view, seeing that you do respond to people and that you are putting yourself out there, not just as April, but this is who I am and let me share my life with you. It really means a lot because I can watch the show and I can cry and laugh, but then I know that, you know, we live life outside of that one hour and whether whatever our circumstances are, you're a survivor, you're not a survivor, you know, somebody that is um, to care for a community and interact with that community is, is really commendable. So thank you. Thank you, but I I mean, I'm not going to argue with your compliment. <laughs> How I dare feel, you, I Ellie? Feel like what I people keep thanking me for that, but I just can't get my head around the kind of person who wouldn't do that. Right. You know? I Canadian maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I, I can't imagine if they were like, "Hey, do you want to hang out with some kids at Children's Hospital LA?" I'm being like, "No, I got to like wash my hair." You know, like who wouldn't do that? You no, know, there's a funny line you say, "It's the least I could do." If I could have done less, I would have. I said that? No, no, I said that. Oh. That's something to say. Now, I want, uh, so let's, let's go back to April for a second because okay. we, we left off with the cliffhanger. There's going to be a Christmas special, and then the show's going to pick up next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we clearly know things are going to get worse for her. Um, what can you shed light on, if at all anything, as to what we can come to expect for her character? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to pretend our audience is... Um, Stupid. Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to pretend they're really nice and polite. Um, but, you know, you can put the, the things together. She's in the hospital. She's probably going to lose her hair, even though not everybody does all the time. Um, so you can look forward to that. You can you can expect to hear what happens with Leo. Sure. And you've, you've seen her already sort of break down um, because of, you know, thinking that she was prepared enough to be in the hospital for a month, physically, psychologically, emotionally, and Obviously, she wasn't. So you see her support team really come in and be there this episode. It's really it's really helping. Um, it's just the, yeah, it's all about the support and the love in this episode. And actually, it's, I think, one of our funniest episodes because Mary and Ross and Ed Asner just are amazing. Yeah. It's hilarious. And so it was, a, it was fun to shoot. There were scenes that were really hard to to materialize because, again, it was a situation where I... It, we had also filming it. We filmed all 20 episodes and then that one last, but it takes place in the middle. So it was sort of like, okay, where are we going back to? Right. So it was hard to be like, I, she, I've been, she's been through so much that right. it's hard to go back and pretend that all of that hadn't happened. So I also heard you filmed the pilot and then a year later you filmed the second. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. We filmed the pilot <laughs> October 5th, 2012. I mean, sorry, December 5th, 2012. Right, and then, I booked it October ninth, twenty twelve. Right, and then like you come back a year later and try to revisit mm-hmm. all that magic. So, yeah. 
How has this affected your process as an actor, this role? It's so draining, at least from my perspective. I'm not an actor in any way, but you're dealing with such a sensitive subject and human beings that are really rallying around this so meaningfully. And just to to comment, Ali, you are doing an exceptional job. We've seen celebrities be horrible at managing relationships on social, and you are very good at it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I I don't know that I really have... A massive process to play April because she's so personal for me. Like I said, I'm, I'm, we're so similar in personality and, and drive, and I mean, we look a lot alike. So <laughs> um, I feel like it, I, it's not hard for me to get into character for April. The scenes that are hard are the really emotional ones. And, you know, I have a cry playlist on my phone that I'll listen to that'll kind of get me like on the edge. And, and then really just being in the scenes, it, it, the writing speaks for itself and my co-stars are phenomenal and it's just, I've, I've committed so much to her, invested so much to, into her that it's, it feels like she is half of me. Even though we haven't been shooting for months, I feel like I'm still her a little bit. And so um, it's not like a role where I have to get up in the morning and like work at becoming this person. It's just, I sort of am her. And I feel like that's also why I take everything so personally, like the fan response to her, I take it, I take it all very, very seriously. And I, I used to be able to respond to everybody, and now it's it's about the point where I read them all, but I can't respond to everything. Well, you have to give yourself permission that it's okay that you don't respond to everybody. I know, but you feel bad. I, of course you do. Yeah, we, I mean, we have that problem yeah, in, I, in, from a different perspective. I have a lot less, but I feel that way. I have people that comment, especially after they attend one of our events and hear my story, and I can't remember who they are or their story or keep in touch with them. And, and it feels bad. And, and my scale is a whole lot lower than yours <laughs> and the, on the <laughs> amount of people. So it's also harder. This is totally off subject, but my fiance is an actor as well. And he does like superhero stuff. And so when fans will come up to him, they'll be like, I'm really great fan of your work. And I, you know, it's really cool what you get to do. And then they'll come up to me and be like, Oh my God, are you April? And I'm like, yeah. And they'll be like, my dad just died of cancer. And you're just like, Okay. Wow. Um, what yeah. do you say to that in person? You know, at home you can write, delete, write, delete to make sure you're making somebody feel better, but writing a thing and you don't want to seem uncomfortable or not that it's uncomfortable, but you just also don't want to start crying in the middle of wherever you are. And right. so it's, it's, it's altogether a very different experience than I ever expected to have with my career. I want to just jump back one sec before I ask the final question. Is we, we talked about how April hasn't lost her hair yet, but we can potentially assume she's going to lose her hair. This debate about you don't have to look sick to be sick, this show has given us such a platform to raise that conversation that when we posted that one image that said you don't have to look sick to mm-hmm. be sick, it got four million Oh, my God. Views. That's and then amazing. ABC Family shared it. Yeah. You shared mm-hmm. it. Chasing Life shared it. That is such a core takeaway that we are that owning because of the character of April mm-hmm. that you don't have to look sick to be sick. And I, even chemo today doesn't make you lose your hair. Well, I get no. so sick of being said, but you look so good. I'm like, yeah, I yeah. Did chemo last week. <laughs> but I look so good, you know, and, and I love that, that we put that out there yeah. and said – you don't have to look sick. Right. So my, I don't think April's really looked super sick yet. No, and the, but that's my whole in point. Episode, in the Christmas special, she does. Right. But the whole point is that 
Yeah, the, you the cynics are you like, never know. you know, it's not a real show because she's not bald. Like, that's not cancer in 2014 yeah. anymore, people. But also, you know? I mean, that's what I'm saying, too. People have to understand that it's not a documentary either. Right. It's yeah. entertainment television. Right. Nobody tunes in. Uh, I'm not going to finish that sentence. Yeah, but I think we, we've, we've squelched the haters. And yeah, we've converted, we've, we've preached job. to the converted. And they're, I think we've done a really good job at, at working with you guys and, and identifying that this is something... Mm-hmm. That's just real. It's very meaningful, and it's resonance of something happening today. And I guess my final question for you is, is, um, well, first of all, thank you for being here and awesome, and it's such a privilege. Uh, What has been your personal takeaway from all of this? How is this going to – what surprised you the most that is going to change the way you sort of examine yourself? I think that the way that the fans and the charity and all of the stuff that I'm doing, you know, extracurricularly, the amount it affects me is more surprising. Because I thought, you know, previously, if I, you know, thinking about your career, if I ever would, you know, book a show like this or with animals or whatever, it would it would launch you into a situation of, of wanting to help people and being being able to do that because of, of what you're doing. I, I'm just surprised at how much it all really truly means to me and how it's it's I think about it all the time and I want to do more all the time and I'm so grateful for the show having given me the opportunity to find that passion that I never knew I had for this cause thank you for joining us Talia Ricci star of ABC Family's Chasing Life there you have it she was so gracious and so wonderful and uh, immediate feedback. Jessica. Uh, there, were, there were just so many things going through my head. Um, you know, thinking about, she mentioned the, the songs she sometimes listens to to get her in a certain place. And that was something that I always related to, um, you know, at different points in the treatment that whenever I hear them, I think about them. Um, but, Italia, it just, she's just so genuine and it's, it's just very refreshing to hear from someone who is so committed, uh, you know, to the role, to getting the word out and to the many people that are looking to her as a voice in this way um, to bring light to what they're going through. And, uh, I I think it reaches a lot of people, and I think it not only reaches people in the cancer community, but those around them that are going to school with them, that are socializing with them, to have a better understanding that, you know, you you don't have to look sick to be sick. Right. And that it is a whole process. Yeah, she is, uh, she's the real deal. And um, for those of us who were able to uh, meet her in person and hear her uh, talk at our conference. Uh, for those listening, we will be posting Italia's uh, speech and Q&A on the web, uh, hopefully this week, and we'll be putting out links on our Facebook page, on Twitter and Instagram, as will she and ABC Family. Uh, and uh, we hope to continue to engage her and the ABC Family uh, crew. Um, they're doing a great job. Mal, Maureen, Kenny, any final thoughts? for the show tonight. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, well, with that, thanks for listening, and now it is time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets 
You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show, our 321st broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did. Hope you're sick and stupid cancer. I'd like to thank our guest, Jessica Malore, Vanessa Goat, and the one and only, Italia Ricci. Next week's show, don't miss it, Pinktober and Breast Cancer Action. Yes, we're kicking off National Breast Cancer Awareness Month with our friends from Breast Cancer Action, a national grassroots education and advocacy organization fighting to achieve health justice for all women at risk and living with breast cancer. We'll be joined by Dr. Angela Wall, Annie Sartor, and Survivor Spotlight on Sakura Razor. Subscribe to our show anytime for free on iHeartRadio Talk, iTunes Podcast, and Blog Talk Radio. Or you can check us out anytime at stupidcancershow.org and stupidcancer.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Andy Goodman, Kenny Kane, Maureen Sweet, Mallory Rivera, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here live next Monday at 8 p.m. Good night, folks. Good night, everybody.